Welcome to Sights and Sounds, a series of podcasts presented by the Gotham Center for New York City History for Open House New York Weekend. In this episode, Blanche Wiesen Cook talks about the Roosevelt House, the private home of Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt in Manhattan's Upper West Side, now a progressive think tank affiliated with Hunter College. Cook is Distinguished Professor of History at John Jay College and the Graduate Center, CUNY, as well as the author of the much-celebrated, indeed definitive, three-volume biography of Eleanor, a powerful force in the making of the New Deal, the founding of the UN, and post-war American liberalism. Here, Cook reminds us that it was in this home that Eleanor first came into her own, leaving behind the doubt and depression of her early years to become, as many knew her, the First Lady of the World. For more podcasts like this and for more Gotham Center programming, visit us at GothamCenter.org and sign up to our mailing list. Thanks for listening. This is Blanche Wiesen Cook, delighted to be doing this podcast on 11 October 2018, Eleanor Roosevelt's birthday. Roosevelt House. Roosevelt House is actually two buildings, 4749 East 65th Street, that represents the entire life of Eleanor Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and Sarah Delano Roosevelt from their marriage, 1905, to Sarah Delano Roosevelt's death at the age of 87 in September 1941. At Christmas 1905, when Eleanor and Franklin returned from their honeymoon, they discovered that Sarah Delano Roosevelt had rented a beautiful home for them, a townhouse very near her own, at 125 East 36th Street. It was staffed and furnished entirely by Sarah Delano Roosevelt. And at first, Eleanor Roosevelt was unhappy since she had nothing to do with it. This plunged her in to what was, for the first 10 years of her marriage, what she called her Griselda moods. And her Griselda moods, found in Chaucer's The Clark's Tale, were these moods of sadness, grief, silence, cold. And FDR's refusal to take sides when his mother and his wife disagreed, and Sarah Delano Roosevelt's incredible domination of the first years of their marriage is really important. On Christmas Day, 1905, she alerted them that she had just bought a home for them, twin homes, really, for herself and for them, on East 65th Street. She had hired the architect, and she was planning the structure. The homes were ready about 1907, and when they moved in, these townhouses, planned entirely by Sarah Delano Roosevelt, a six-story townhouse with three floors of the six levels having adjoining connect doors. Sarah Delano Roosevelt could march in to the children's room, to their sitting room, to their bedrooms, and Eleanor Roosevelt didn't even have her own bedroom, but to all of the significant rooms, anytime, day or night. 
Eleanor Roosevelt felt she had no privacy. But more than that, they were not homes that she would have chosen. The first night there, she was in bitter tears. And FDR came over to her and said, what is going on? And she said, this is not my home. All of the furnishings, all of the decorations were chosen by Sarah Delano Roosevelt, even Eleanor's own dressing table. Eleanor Roosevelt was consulted about nothing. And so she made her position clear, but until Sarah died, Eleanor Roosevelt lived in her mother-in-law's homes with no privacy and very little independence except for one important thing. Sarah Delano Roosevelt changed over time. And as her son and her daughter-in-law became political, she became political too. And ultimately supported all of their interests and all of their causes. She realized that she would be an outlier she would be completely abandoned if she didn't support them. And she could use her support to continue her domination of their finances and of their interests. In some ways, it was a good thing. In some ways, it was a bad thing. Her interference with the children was a bad thing. Sarah Delano Roosevelt sabotaged Eleanor Roosevelt's interests with her children, and she actually had the gall to say to her children, I am your real mother. Your mother only bore you. This was a very bitter reality. But by the 1920s, when Eleanor Roosevelt has a team of her own, a gang of her own, the great women and men who became her core activist group, things began to change. And all of her interests were attended to by Sarah Delano Roosevelt. She supported everything that Eleanor Roosevelt did. One example, in 1927, Eleanor Roosevelt had a dinner for the National Council of Women. And at that dinner, Sarah Delano Roosevelt noticed that Mary McLeod Bethune, the only black woman in the room, entered the home, looked around at this festive seating of many, many women, all white, many from the South, and hesitated. Sarah Delano Roosevelt walked across the room and she took Mary McLeod Bethune, the leading black activist, by the arm and seated her next to Eleanor Roosevelt in the seat of honor. Mary McLeod Bethune wrote, from that moment on, my heart went out to Sarah. I visited her at her East 65th Street home many times. Our friendship became one of the most treasured relationships of my life. 
As a result of my affection for Sarah Delano Roosevelt, my friendship with Eleanor Roosevelt ripened into a close, lifelong, mutual understanding. And the only way really to understand Eleanor Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and Sarah Delano Roosevelt is to understand the changes over time that SDR, Sarah Delano Roosevelt, who started out in life a great and profound snob who wanted nothing to do with, really with anybody, with activists, with politicians, with families other than her own, how she changed and they changed to be great promoters of change and vision and liberalism. As FDR said, we will have a liberal democracy or we will return to the dark ages. Before I go on about Roosevelt House, it's really important to pause and focus on Eleanor Roosevelt and the way in which she started out in life, a dutiful wife, a submissive daughter-in-law, an unprepared and unhappy mother, and a daughter devoted to an illusory father, Elliot, a great alcoholic who died at the age of 34. We really need to pause and question how much do you have to drink to die at the age of 34? But Elliot Roosevelt, her father, was a man who began Eleanor Roosevelt's commitment to people in want, in need, in trouble. And everywhere she went, she asked people around the country and around the world, tell me, what do you want? What do you need? That identification with people in want, in need, in trouble, began with her commitment to her father. So Eleanor Roosevelt was a woman in struggle, dedicated to modernity, a feminist leader and competitive politician. Ultimately, she was a woman who enjoyed power. She was, in her own words, an adventurer. And her commitment to adventure really describes her survival as a dutiful daughter-in-law in Roosevelt House. As Audre Lorde always said, survival is the best revenge. She wrote these words in You Learn by Living towards the end of her life in 1960. Learning and living. But they are really the same thing, aren't they? There is no experience from which you can't learn something. And the purpose of life, after all, is to live it, to taste experience to the utmost, to reach out eagerly and without fear for newer and richer experience. You can do that only if you have curiosity, an unquenchable spirit of adventure. The experience can have meaning only if you understand it. You can understand it only if you have arrived at some knowledge of yourself, a knowledge based 
and a deliberately and usually painfully acquired self-discipline, which teaches you to cast out fear and frees you for the fullest experience of the adventure of life. I honor the human race when it faces life head on. It can almost remake itself. And that spirit of adventure enabled her to survive her mother-in-law's domination without too many arguments, without too much meanness on either side. Eleanor Roosevelt supported her mother-in-law, and when she became ill in the last year of her life, spent a lot of time commiserating and being with Sarah Delano Roosevelt. Upon her death, FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt agreed that they would sell or give Roosevelt House to Hunter College. They were going to sell it for some significant amount of money, but it was wartime and money was scarce. And so they decided they would raise funds to give it as a gift to Hunter College. And George Schuster, the president of Hunter College, was very happy to have Roosevelt House as an interfaith center. And this the dedication of the Sarah Delano Roosevelt Interfaith Memorial House was an amazing event. And FDR said to celebrate an interfaith learning center would make my dear mother very happy. In the realization of plans whereby the old home on East 65th Street with all its memories of joy and sorrow, is now to become Interfaith House, dedicated to mutual understanding and goodwill among students matriculating in Hunter College. It is to me of happy significance that this place of sacred memory is to become the first college center established for the high purpose of mutual understanding among the major U.S. religions, Protestant, Jewish, Catholic. I hope this movement will grow and prosper until there is a similar establishment of interfaith unity in every institution of higher learning in the land, the spirit of which shall be unity in essentials liberty in non-essentials and in all things charity. And Eleanor Roosevelt wrote a My Day column about how happy the creation of the Interfaith Center would have made her mother-in-law. She wrote, my mother-in-law traveled a great deal all of her life, beginning with her trip to China when she was a very small child. She had a liking for many different countries and their peoples. Though she had been brought up a Unitarian and became an Episcopalian after her marriage, she was very tolerant of all religions. I think she would have been interested in having work go on in these houses, which will bring about greater understanding and unity among young people. Always in both houses, 
Eleanor Roosevelt said, there was an effort to look on all human beings with respect and to have a true understanding of the viewpoint of others. I just want to say that Roosevelt House remained a student center for activism during the 40s and 50s and 60s. In 1941, Bella Savitsky, who becomes Bella Abzuk, was president of the student government, and she invited Eleanor Roosevelt to speak. And it was really amazing. Eleanor Roosevelt, as Bella said, was ahead of us all in her commitment to women, to peace, to justice. And then in 1961, I was president of the student government, and I invited Eleanor Roosevelt to speak at her former home, Roosevelt House. And she came in, and as soon as she entered, the room was electrified. Her energy was extraordinary. But she had a very important message for us. She said, wonderful things are happening in the South. There are sit-ins. Go South for freedom. And I took her seriously, and we took two buses to North Carolina to sit in in the spring of 1961. So Eleanor Roosevelt was there for us very specifically, and Roosevelt House was there not only as an interfaith center, but as a global center with a vision for human rights and justice as we went forward. In 1948, December 10th, 1948, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights passed the General Assembly, and at three o'clock in the morning, Eleanor Roosevelt got a standing ovation. This was the achievement of a lifelong vision. We will have peace if everybody has education, housing, work, training, justice. We need human rights for everyone, everywhere, one world, Eleanor Roosevelt's vision. And of course, we are still fighting for that vision today. Esther Lape, one of Eleanor Roosevelt's greatest friends, campaigned for a national health care plan, which was supposed to be in the 1935 Social Security Act, but the AMA lobbied it to death. Then in 1958, Eisenhower asked Eleanor Roosevelt and Esther Lape to support his Health Reinsurance Act, which they did. Esther Lape continued to fight for a national health care plan, which we would call single-payer, and she fought for this until the day she died in 1982. And today, here we are in the 21st century, the only industrial democracy without a national health care plan, without the kind of social services that many countries take for granted, that we began to take for granted during the New Deal. And so as much as there are steps toward removing every right, there are great, great steps towards restoring the vision of the Roosevelts and the New Deal. While schools are being resegregated, there are also movements to integrate and realize, as Wendell Wilkie said in 1942 in his great book, One World, everything that happens anywhere affects everybody 
everywhere. We are all connected, one world. That was Eleanor Roosevelt's vision, and it was Franklin Delano Roosevelt's vision, and the United Nations and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights are their legacy, and their legacy is situated in Roosevelt House, today a center of learning and discussion about how to get where we need to go if we are to survive the demands and the tragedies of the future. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sights and Sounds. Be sure to check out the rest of our podcasts at GothamCenter.org and sign up to our mailing list to find out about other programming here at the Gotham Center for New York City History.